Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, March 23rd, 2019. Welcome back to the Iron on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. 1.33 a.m. I've been in studio for CBS Sports Network here in New York. Norlander is in Hartford covering that pod. If you're wondering, I went 24-8 and eight in my first round picks. Norlander what I do? went 22-10. and 10. So, uh-huh. Norlander, let's just start here. Do you want to pay your debt now and I'll do this podcast solo? Or do you want to record this podcast, then pay your debt later? <laughs> um... Let's pay the debt later. Uh, you know what, though? I'll tell you what. This, that, that is a tremendous – actually, you know what? It's not – I was going to say this is a great out for me because it's late. <laughs> but I still – if you do it, I got to stay up and deploy this thing. No shot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pay, it, pay it later. Uh, okay, so it's 22 and 10. I didn't – I checked earlier in the day, and I thought I was doing better than that, but I might have tripped up late with the picks. Ah, that stinks. But you know what? It is what it is. By the way – Bring it into these regions and stuff, but the one so I the only pick I changed from uh, our our pod picks to like I don't I don't know if I did change it on the pod, but I know I changed it like less than twenty four hours before the tournament started. Was I um I flipped? I had Liberty. I went to Mississippi State, and then wouldn't you know it, we get three twelve over fives, and Liberty's one of them. So that's that's a mild annoyance, but so it goes. Anyway, GP, how you doing? Where do you want to start? How do you want to get rolling with this bad boy? Oh well, um. I think the most organized way to do this is to just take things regional by regional, and we'll touch on every notable thing, or at least everything that we want to touch on within that region, and then we'll move on to the next region. So I want to start uh, in the West Regional, because that's the regional where John Morant is playing, and he's the early story, I think, of this NCAA's tournament. So let's let's begin there. At the top, Gonzaga and Baylor both won, so the Zags and Bears are going to play in the round of 32. Florida ended Nevada season. Michigan crushed Montana, so the Gators and Wolverines will play in the round of 32. Buffalo crushed Arizona State, so that's Nate Oates over his former boss, Bobby Hurley. Bulls will play Texas Tech in the round of 32. And John Morant turned in one of the all-time great NCAA tournament performances, got 17 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds in Murray State's 83-64 win over Marquette. Racers going to play Florida State in the round of 32. So, Norlander, let's spend a few minutes right here. You were courtside for the John ja Morant show. What was that like? It was awesome. And uh, the building was with him. So that would have been the second game of the Hartford pod there on Thursday. The first one was Florida State, Vermont, which was awesome as well. I'll say this real quick on the XL Center. It's not a great venue, but I also I have to believe it's the smallest of all the ones in the first weekend here, Parrish. And because Vermont was local – because it's a a decent sized venue that's not you know cavernous, it was filled. Um, there were plenty of teams from outside the area, so everyone like even though Vermont played a good game and they wound up losing, like the Vermont fans stuck around. And then it's Murray State, it's John Moran. So everyone that wasn't rooting for Marquette that was in the building was all in on this, and it was it was wowing. Like you nailed it. This is I would rank easily a top twenty performance in the history of the tournament. Uh, we haven't had a guy go for fifteen points and fifteen assists in a in a game since. Earl Watson in 2000, only the ninth official triple-double, although I guess technically there's been 17, and some of those are unofficial dating back to previous years, but whatever. He was great. His teammates were great as well. He was the story of the first day of the tournament. I would argue that, yes, 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 Wofford and Fletcher McGee were a sec- a, a decent second uh, in how they won, and Ian Eagles, <laughs> amazing call. I love Bird on the mic. Fletcher McGee is not human. Just great stuff there. But with Morant and what he did, here's the way I here's the way I put it. Marcus Howard had 26 points, and it was probably the quietest, most forgettable 26-point game of his career. Um, never thought the Golden Eagles had any shot, basically, from about the 12 to 13-minute mark in the second half on. Good on Murray State. It was a trendy upset pick, but uh, with reason there. Only a four-loss team, and they look real good. So before we get to the rest of the region, GP, I just want your thoughts on, on what you saw. Because what I saw was a, a team capable of being a second weekend team. What I saw was a team that almost everyone would agree upon that follows the sport would not have been in the tournament if it lost to Belmont in the OVC title game, just like Loyola last season wouldn't have been in the tournament if it hadn't won the Missouri Valley. And now we've got a team with a genuine bona fide superstar in the sport that is capable of uh, 
of doing some special things. And just one quick note, like after his press conference, John, his teammates, they they walked back. It was kind of like, you know, they had to they were on the opposite side of the arena of when their locker room was. And I just so happened to be walking with them. And normally you'd ask questions in that scenario because you know, you're a reporter and it's your job to do that. And I did ask him a little bit, but I also gave him about two minutes to just kind of like joke with each other and have this moment. They were kind of talking about, you know, going through all this process. It was a really cool, uh, really cool thing to kind of witness up front. And then I kind of got into uh, asking them some stuff about that. But uh, but I, I get the sense sometimes that Ja doesn't even quite realize like – how big he has truly gotten and what he had just done. Like a real kind of an innocence to him still, which was very, uh, very fun to see up close. Well, he hasn't, you know, come up as a grassroots basketball star slash McDonald's all American slash probably had an agent when he was 16 years old that so many college freshman stars sort of fall under that umbrella. This is all kind of new to him. And honestly, I think he's kind of new to the nation. Uh, Anybody who, is interested in the NBA draft, has been talking about John Morant, you know, for the past month or two because he's established himself as a consensus top three pick, at least according to the mock drafts. But I don't know until Thursday how many people had ever actually watched him play a game. I know they'd seen the highlights on Twitter, the dunks, and had seen the box scores and had, you know, recognized his name on mock drafts, but actually sit down and watch him play a game. and. So on the biggest stage, I guess you could say, he's ever had in his life, he turns in an all-time great performance, and not only was he the star of Thursday, with all due respect to Zion, I think he's the star of the opening round of the uh, of the round of 64 of the NCAA tournament, and the way the schedule makers put this together, I'm sure coincidentally, but still, um, you know, we got a Thursday John Morant, a Friday Zion Williamson. Now I think Saturday John Morant is just as interesting or at least in the same stratosphere as Sunday Zion Williamson. So the NCAA tournament is terrific um, This these four days, no matter what. But when you've got perhaps the number one and number two pick in the draft, both playing on opposite days and playing at this level, because we'll get to it, but Zion was great again. Um, I really do think it makes it even more intriguing than it otherwise would be. Agreed. And the uh, so when you just to kind of bring some college basketball fans that listen to this podcast that uh, that aren't in the locker rooms and stuff when we do this, the the awesome thing about the tournament is when you get upsets and then <laughs> when you get the small. So as these sessions go, if you're the small, if you're the lowest seeded team or the two lowest seeded teams, you get the two worst locker rooms. So if you get the great upset, you can't wait to write about it. But then there's all this media in one tiny locker room. So John Morant had an absolute crunch around him. Uh, we got it done, made it work, made it fun, and his teammates were having fun uh, at his expense as well. Just a really, a really good scene there. And then yes, Murray State will play Florida State six ten. That's the first of two tips in Hartford on Saturday. Um, any thoughts from you uh, elsewhere in the region, GP? Before I kind of tackle what else we got there and uh, and matchups ahead. Well, I did think it was notable that Nevada season is over after one game in the NCAA tournament. Trivia time. Oh boy. Nevada is the only what that has already been eliminated from the NCAA tournament. Uh, Nevada is the only preseason top 10 team? That's correct. Boom! <laughs> very good, Norlander. Very good. <laughs> Nevada is back. the only preseason top 10 team that is no longer involved in the 2019 NCAA tournament. Um they were seventh in the preseason AP poll. They were ninth in the preseason coaches poll. And they only um, five times this entire season, the last time being in the NCAA tournament. So the record was good, but I can acknowledge that, you know, they took some questionable losses along the way. And I think where I was clearly wrong with the benefit of hindsight is I just assumed that when the tournament started, they'd turn it on, that maybe they were just bored. We talked about this with the Mountain West, you know, a league in which they were significantly better than everybody else except perhaps Utah State. And it turns out they didn't have a switch to flip. You know, Jordan Caroline missed Mountain West Conference Tournament, came back for this game against Florida, but just, um, you know, was not good. So I think it's reasonable to wonder – how healthy he was. He played 38 minutes, but he was 2 of 11 11 from the field, finished with just seven points. 
Um, Nevada shot five of 24 from three-point range, so they have their season ended by a 15-loss Florida team. And I did think that was one of the more significant stories of, of day one. The, on paper, this is supposed to be the greatest Nevada season ever. Um, heading into the season, it was the highest preseason ranking for Nevada ever. And then they're done on the opening Thursday of the NCAA tournament. I'm with you, GP, the whole way. In fact, I was championing Nevada, I think, just as much as you in the preseason. Uh, I maintain that that team would have been ranked preseason number one had it worn uh, the uniform of a major conference team. And that's a significant letdown. I played myself. I had Nevada in the Elite Eight. And uh, even by halftime of that game, following it from afar, obviously I was not uh, I was not at my house, but I was on site. Uh, I was asking myself why I why I did that, but so it goes, and that's a, that is a, about as disappointing of a, of a five-loss season as you could have there. Um, as we stay in the West here, uh, real quick thoughts um, elsewhere. Uh, Buffalo, great on them, and we'll get to Wofford in a second, but great on Buffalo and Wofford specifically for being highly ranked, you know, abnormally highly ranked, and uh, having no doubt about it, W's there. Uh, Nate Oates and his team look really good against Arizona State. Um, and good on Florida for beating Nevada, by the way. They've been up and down, but they get the win. I'd, I'd, I'd point to two teams uh, that won in the first round that I did not think had any shot, and that would be uh, Florida, and we'll get to Ohio State in just a minute there. Michigan moves on without any issue. Um, Florida, uh, Syracuse and Baylor. Baylor gets the win. Good on Scott Drew. And then weirdly, uh, the next morning he wakes up to find out his brother has been fired from Vanderbilt. So this is more of a tournament pod, but that's that was like to me that was a shocker. Uh, but so a weird moment here for the for the Drew family. But they'll play Gonzaga. Gonzaga was the only one seed that covered over uh, over the first round. There they absolutely destroyed Fairleigh Dickinson. My last thought on what happened in the West before we get to the other games that are going to be played was uh, Florida State beats Vermont. Yes. But uh, a real tragic note here. Uh, so uh, Phil Kofer doesn't play in the game against Vermont. He's got a, something on his boot. And he did not realize until after the game that his father had died, which is just absolutely horrible. Now, his father had been battling uh, illness and had been sick for a while, but um, it was reported that that, was, that information was... Uh, was kept from him until after the game. He is staying with the team in Hartford, uh, will be with the team for its game against Murray State. He is not expected to play. He's an important player. He's not one of their top two or three players, but he is he is an important player. Um, so as we get you know through all this bracket stuff, all this game stuff, just wanted to uh, send our genuine thoughts uh, and prayers and, and well wishes to the Kofer family. That's just a terrible thing. I mean, one, you want to be able to play in this thing, and two, you don't get to, and then you find out afterward that you've lost your father? I mean, it's just its just a terrible tragedy, Parrish. Uh, no question. I mean, it's a sad story on, on multiple levels. you got a guy missing out on the NCAA tournament for health reasons, and then, you know, immediately after your game's over, they tell you in the locker room, oh, by the way, this happened. And so I, I believe now he's going to stay with the team. Unclear if he'll play in the round of 32. But, yeah, just an, just an awful, awful story. Um, from a basketball perspective, Florida State is now 15 and two in its past 17 games. Only losses to um, to to one seeds in that stretch. And so I know everybody's on the Murray State bandwagon now, but you know Florida State has been playing about as well as anybody in the country for an extended period of time. That's going to be a tough matchup uh, for Murray State. If we're going to have John Moran on the in the Sweet 16, they're going to really have to perform. I want to circle back to Syracuse for a second because Baylor wins that game. Syracuse season's over and they finish the season 20 and 14. After last year going 23 and 14. After year before that going 19 and 15. Hmm. After year before that 23 and 14. So that's four straight seasons with at least 14 losses for Syracuse. And in Jim Beheim's entire career, before this stretch, he'd only had one 14-loss season ever. What? Only one ever. What? And he's got four in a row now. Now, obviously, somebody's going to point out, so I'll point it out for you. Uh, we play more games today than we did when Jim's career started, right? It's it's easier to lose 14 games now than it was when, you know, we were only playing, you know, some you know like some of these records from the early 80s are 16 and 13, 21 and 10, 23 and 9, playing a much um, a, a shorter a, a shorter schedule. But still, this is a fact. Uh, Syracuse has four straight seasons with at least 14 losses. 
And before this stretch started in 2016, Jim Behine, in a head coaching career that started in 1976, he'd only had one 14-loss season. And so to me, and I said this on CBS Sports Network on Thursday night, to me, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I'm not that, you know, whatever. You lost to Baylor in an 8-9 game when Frank Howard wasn't available. Who cares? Um, you're probably losing the next one no matter what. But four straight 14, you know, uh, 14 loss seasons is not something Syracuse is used to. Now, in this same stretch, they had a Final Four in 16 and a Sweet 16 and 18. And I think that skews the perception a little bit because ultimately this sport, your judge, right or wrong, and I often think it's wrong, based on how you do in the NCAA tournament instead of how you do over a four-month period – but four straight 14 lost seasons, at least 14 lost seasons, is there. Something's got to get fixed, right? Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a stat, GP. That one that one truly surprises me there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't have too much to tag with that, uh, other than that's relatively surprising, and they they should. And I believe GP, I, you've been in the studio, we've been doing different things, but I thought I thought I saw Tyus Battle said he's he's leaving. Right? Did we see that? Tyus Battle's out. Tyus Battle's out. Yeah, he's out. He's which makes sense. I'm, that's not surprising. He, I also believe, was the very last person to opt to come back to college basketball when that whole NBA draft pre-draft process played out there. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think Syracuse will probably be about this next season, floating in that seven to ten range. I don't know. We'll see. Baylor moves on. Um, I'll have that as my segue here as we spin forward. So the two Saturday games in the West are Gonzaga, Baylor, Murray State. Florida State, uh, I thought Syracuse was going to give Gonzaga a better game than Baylor, but hey, maybe we'll you know we'll wait and see. Um, but I do like Gonzaga to win. Uh, that's a 7-10 tip on TBS, uh, and they'll move along. And then before the tournament started, I said I thought Florida State would win close against Vermont. They wound up winning by seven, but it was a, a pretty competitive game for most of the time, and I think they will do the same against Murray State. I think that they will win by seven or fewer points against Murray State, and the Seminoles move on to face Gonzaga in the regional semifinals uh, out west. And the bottom half is going to be Sunday's games. Um, you got Michigan versus Florida, a two versus ten, um, and then Buffalo and Texas Tech, a three versus a six. Uh, I think that Buffalo-Texas Tech game is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to watch that. Both those games are going to happen. Uh, they're going to overlap. Uh, Michigan-Florida is a 5-15 tip, and then Buffalo-Texas Tech is a 6-10 tip. And I will take Texas Tech to move along, just barely. But if Buffalo wins, you won't be surprised. I won't be surprised. And most people listening to this podcast will not be surprised. Buffalo is legit. I will even say this. Buffalo looks so good that I won't be surprised if it gets to the final four out of this region. I really think it has that capability. Physical, can get up and down. The confidence that's displayed here uh, on Friday was awesome and reminiscent of last year. But last year, it got it got uh, pushed back there in the second round. We'll see if that happens again. And then I will take Michigan to beat Florida. If Florida moves along, I mean, that's going to be great on Mike White uh, do, doing that. But I'd, I just don't think Florida's nearly as good as Michigan. Can beat them on a random day, sure. But, nah, if these two teams play ten times, I think I'd take Michigan to win probably eight of them on a neutral floor. So I've got Gonzaga, FSU, Texas Tech, Florida, uh, Michigan. So I've got all the higher seats moving along. Of course, it would be fun if we had at least one upset, but that's where I see it right now. Yeah, I've, I've got the same winners you've got. I don't think anybody's going to pick Baylor. I don't even think Scott Drew would pick Baylor to, to beat Gonzaga. It's amazing that Scott has got this team in the round of 32. Like, they were picked ninth or 10th, I think, preseason Big 12 poll, lose their best player midseason, and still in the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament. You know, Scott's had a, a bunch of good years coaching at Baylor. Um, you could reasonably argue this is his best this is the best job he's ever done. Um, but yeah, Gonzaga's got to get past that. I, I have Florida State advancing past Murray State in my bracket, but I will not be surprised at all if Murray State wins the game. Um, I think it's probably better for the tournament, undeniably better for the yes. tournament. With all due respect, respect to Florida State, uh, John Morant going to the Sweet 16 is better for the tournament. But I, I've got Florida State winning that game. I'm with you on Buffalo, Texas Tech. I, that's probably... The game, the the round of 32 game in the West Regional that I'm looking most forward to, you talk about two consistently good teams with great coaches. And and great coaches who don't have long track records in, in, at the Division One level. I mean, this is Chris Beard's fourth year as a Division One head coach, and Nate Oates, what, third? Third or fourth, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean these these guys have not been you know around Division One basketball uh, for a long time, and yet I think that the the they're two legit Division One basketball coaches. Buffalo, Texas Tech, going to be a war, but I got Texas Tech winning that one, and then I'm with you. I've got Michigan over Florida. Um, if I wasn't going to trust a 15 loss Florida team in the round of 64, I'm not going to trust them in the in the round of 32. So you and I, we've got the the same four teams uh winning these games to advance to the sweet 16 in the west regional so let's move on uh we're going to get into the east regional next that's where zion's playing but first check this out the world of golf is on hiatus but thankfully for you the first cut podcast crew is not Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey everybody, it's Will Brinson, host of the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. We know the sports world is very different than it was a few weeks or even months, certainly months ago, but I'm here to let you know we will remain daily. We are dedicated to bringing you content every day. It's not changing. That's just what we do. It's sort of our thing. We had you covered for free agency in March, and in April, we will be Draft Central, breaking down all the rumors and all the possibilities for what happens not in Vegas, but maybe some television studios somewhere during the NFL draft. So join me and the cast of characters for Pick 6 Monday through Friday, available to you first thing in the morning. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast shows. So the East Regional is where Duke is the number one seed. Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett became, on Friday night, the first freshman teammates to each score at least 25 points in a game, in an NCAA tournament game, in NCAA tournament history. So Duke beat North Dakota State 85-62. Blue Devils will get UCF in the round of 32. So we will have two of the most unusual humans in the world <laughs> on the court together. That's Zion Williamson and Taco Fall. Liberty upset Mississippi State. So the Flames are going to play Virginia Tech in the round of 32. Uh, Maryland eliminated Rick Bird the GOAT. Belmont goes 1-1 one and one in this NCAA tournament. Maryland's going to play LSU in the round of 32. Richard Patino beat Louisville while Michigan State beat Bradley. Tom Izzo went at Aaron Henry. So that became a story. Either way, it'll be Minnesota versus Michigan State in the round of 32. Norlander, uh, what's the biggest headline in the East Regional? All right, let me just – I'll just uh, – let me vamp here. I'll give you everything I got, and then just you tell me what you got, and we'll uh, we'll push it along. Uh, I love your note about two of the most unusual humans. That's <laughs> – that is funny, accurate, and this tournament's the best. <laughs> Zion Williamson versus Taco Fall. Everyone wants Zion Williamson to try and go with Frederick Vice, Vince Carter. That's not going to happen, I don't think, but – I guess anything's possible, man. There's a photo that's going viral of Zion Williamson popping off the hardwood as R.J. Barrett throws a reverse slam, and he looks like he's five feet off the ground. It's stupid. Uh, Duke UCF will be way fun. That's a 5:15 CBS tip on Sunday. I like UCF. It's America's most watched network's network of stars. That's absolutely correct. I like UCF to keep that one close, by the way, but I know we're both going to pick Duke there. In terms of the games that already finished, uh, because you didn't have Arizona State, uh, moving along, and you did not have Belmont moving along. This is the first year since the first four, uh, and the field expanded from 65 to 68 teams in 2011, where a first four team didn't make it into the second round slash round of 32. So that era ends. Um, Belmont played them close, had a chance to win, couldn't pull it off, and now you've got, uh, well, you've got LSU versus Maryland, uh, which is going to be a fascinating game, but also both those teams uh, have had uh, affiliations with FBI <laughs> stuff. <laughs> be it wiretaps or Maryland was twice uh, subpoenaed by the FBI. Um, we also have another game that is dealing with that. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, Minnesota-Michigan State is weird because it's a Big Ten matchup in the second round, but good on the Big Ten. Trivia time! Hmm. You probably know this, but uh, Big Ten 7-1. 7-1. 
I was going to try to answer the question before you even asked it. Nope, that's not the question. The question Damn. is, and this is, I got two of them for you. Okay. Both have kind of been floated on Twitter, so you might you might know the answer to both these. Uh, only other times a conference has had two or this many teams. Sorry, this many teams, seven teams into the second round would be what and when? Do you know? You're gonna have to ask Rothstein this one. This ain't for me. I figured that you would have known that because uh, it was kind of bouncing around there. Warlock, David Warlock tweeted it. Uh, the answer is the Big East, 2008 and 2011, uh, sent seven teams into the uh, second round. Um, the other trivia time is the Big Ten only has one loss. What is the only other league that sent multiple teams to the NCAA tournament this year with just one loss, GP? Mm-hmm. West Coast Conference? It is the Pack freaking twelve. Well, hold on. The West Coast Conference at two two teams, and okay. it only Sorry. has minimum, one loss, minimum, right? Minimum, minimum three teams sent. My bad, my bad. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Pack twelve, then. <laughs> You're on fire. You are <laughs> right. Uh, so a shout to the Pack twelve, which was terrible this season, but still got Oregon and Washington into the second round. Both their teams looked relatively good while winning their games. I'll take Michigan State over Minnesota. Maryland LSU is. Probably my toughest game to predict of the second round. I'm going to take Maryland, and that's like 50.1% to 49.9% confidence. But I will take Maryland there. I uh, will have Virginia Tech moving along against Liberty, and then I will have Duke uh, moving along as UCF. I would really like to see Duke get a, a real push there. Uh, Duke, in addition to North Carolina, in addition to Virginia, uh, all the one seeds actually made it a little bit interesting to start in the first half. And as I said, those three teams did not cover the final spread. But uh, good on North Dakota State, Gardner-Webb, and Iona for having that belief, making us think maybe we'd get it two years in a row. We did not. And uh, anyway, back to the East. So I've got a one, a four, a six, and a two moving along to the second weekend. Yeah, to your point, two one seeds, and they're on the other side of the bracket. We'll get to them, but uh, we had two one seeds trailing in the second half to 16 seeds um, over the past. Well, really, it both ha- they both happened on, on Friday. Um, back to the East. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Duke-UCF. I just think it's interesting on lots of different levels. Duke Athletic Director Kevin White, his son Danny White's the Athletic Director at Central Florida. So we got an AD father-son showdown. Johnny Dawkins, of course, former Duke star, uh, associate head coach at Duke, coaching against Mike Krzyzewski. You got that. And then I, I really do think that this is true. Uh, Zion Williamson and Taco Fall are two of the most unique humans on the planet. Uh, I don't think there's another 6'7", 285-pound person who can do the things that Zion Williamson does. And I don't mean go behind his back in transition. I mean just like move, run, jump. There was that one moment in the North Dakota State game. And by the way, Duke got off to a, like a little bit of a slow start too. But there's the one moment where uh, the ball gets tipped out or popped away or something. And Zion and one of the North Dakota State guards are both running for it. And the North Dakota State guard has got like a head start. And here comes a 270-pound man outrunning the North Dakota State guard. And then he you know, is in transition, goes behind his back, and finishes with a layup. Like there's nobody. I don't mean there's no other college basketball player or no other NBA player. I mean there's nobody else on the planet who could do that. 6'7", 285 pounds. And so you got him on one side, Taco Fall, who's literally one of the tallest humans on the planet. And did you – I'm sure you saw the picture of he and Tracy Wolfson. <laughs> yes. How funny is that? It's unbelievable. CBS is playing that up as it should because it's, it's adorable is what it is. That's just too good. I mean, they don't even look like real people. <laughs> no. It doesn't look like a photograph of two real people. Did you see the other photo that got that that the CBS Sports account shared on Friday night where Taco during the middle of the VCU game, he's on his knees and it's the angle but still maybe it's not. He's the same height as the VCU player on his knees. Crazy. It's so ridiculous. I mean, the picture of he and Tracy is just too like that's an, there's all these funny pictures of Yao Ming and like normal of Yao Ming next to other tall people and the tall people look like short people it's yeah. like is Yao Ming standing next to Shaq and Shaq looks like me <laughs> um but this to me trumps everything like Taco Fall and Tracy Wolfson <laughs> is the greatest picture ever in terms of putting a a, a ridiculously tall human with a I, I mean Tracy's obviously tiny but like being five foot what is she five two something like that yeah 
Yeah, like being 5'2 isn't that unusual for a woman. And Taco, like, they don't even look like they're the same species. It's, it's, it's unbelievable Great photo. how funny that is. Yeah. So you get Taco Fall on one side, Zion on the other. And I know that it's unlikely, but God, Zion, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Just please try to try to punch one on him, even if it results in a foul or a charge or a block. Man, that would be some kind of moment. It would be a, it would be a great moment if we had something like that. Or you know what I think it's great is if he tries it and Taco just shuts it down, and we get the reverse posterization for all reverse posterizations at the college level ever. We'll see. Or it happens on the other other end of the floor. Zion catches one, winds up on a poster, and and Taco Fall jumps you know three inches off the ground. And he slams it home. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to that either way. That's a by the way, that's the five fifteen Sunday tip. Of course, it's on CBS, America's it, Most Watched it, Network. It's the network it, of stars, Parish. America's most awarded network. Um, what I, I what I would want if we could get a somehow get I and mean, it had to be in the Final Four, so we probably won't get it. But a Murray State UCF game and have Murray State run that same play that got Ja the two hand dunk and just let him go in and try to crunch one on on Taco. He he actually seems like the type who would try it. He does. I I don't disagree <laughs> with you at all. Um. So in the East Regional, I obviously I've got Duke. Um, beating Central Florida, but if they can cause pro- – if Taco Fall can cause problems around the rim – and by the way, in the um, first-round win over VCU that they won easily, Central Florida blew VCU out. Um, and Marcus Evans, by the way, was a game-time decision. He just was not very good mm-hmm. um, in that game. I think he was one of seven. So that was an issue for, for VCU. Um, but Taco Fall had – uh, 13 points and 18 rebounds, five blocks. 13 points, 18 rebounds, five blocks. He was awesome. So I know he's this novelty where, oh, my God, look at him standing next to Tracy Wilson. He's turned into uh, a really good basketball player. And if he can be um, just a presence around the rim, because Duke does almost everything around the rim. I mean, they're not going to hurt you from three-point range, although they did shoot a pretty good percentage against North Dakota State. A good percentage against North Dakota State. If Taco Fall can be a, a problem around the rim, just at the rim, like R.J. Barrett wants to finish everything at the rim. Zion Williamson is constantly, um, you know, uh, uh, getting position on smaller or weaker players and just begging for the ball, and they throw it up and he just lays it in. You're not going to be able to do that, I don't think, against Taco Fall. And if they can – Make Duke have to try to beat him from the perimeter where Duke is not good at all. I could see that game getting interesting. I know as I say that, Duke will beat him by 30, but I'm with you. I could see that game being closer than maybe most people suspect it'll be. Yeah, I think it will be, but we both have Duke moving on. I know you have Virginia Tech moving on. Bottom half of the bracket, what are you going with? I got Maryland in my bracket beating LSU. I did have LSU beating Yale, but I did not have LSU getting past Maryland. So I've got Maryland in the Sweet 16. And then, I mean, I just don't know how you could watch basketball all season, watch uh, the Big Ten all season, and think that Minnesota is going to upset Michigan State here. I heard some people, because I think Minnesota made 11 threes in its first game to beat Louisville, and I couldn't have been happier for Richard Pitino to get that win. A, it's his first NCAA tournament win. That's significant no matter who you are, no matter who you beat. And I, I know he would publicly say, yeah, it's just another game, but it, you that has to mean something uh, to beat Louisville, a uh, place he used to work, place his father used to work. So I was happy to see Richard get that win. Not that I was rooting against Louisville or Chris Mack, but um, I was happy to see Richard get that win. Um, but I don't know how you could pick against Michigan State. And so I'll, I'll take Michigan State. Oh, this is what I was going to say. I heard some people say, you know, if Minnesota shoots the ball like this, but they don't ever shoot the ball like that. Like they, they, they shot the ball like that that game. So, yeah, I, I guess if Minnesota goes out and makes 11 three-pointers against Michigan State, we'll have ourselves a ball game. But that was way out of character for them. I don't think they'll be that out of character two games in a row. So my Sweet 16 in the East, Michigan State, Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Duke. And if Duke does get past UCF – Virginia Tech, they held St. Louis to 36.5% shooting on Friday night. Justin Robinson came back, played 27 minutes. Uh, that's going to be a that's, a, that's a real, you got, that's a, that's where things do get tough, even on paper for for Duke, is if they you got a sweet 16 game against Virginia Tech. All right, let's bump over to the South region, GP, if we could. Team me up, what do you got? 
Okay, so in the South Regional, Virginia, Tennessee, Virginia's the one seed, Tennessee's the two seed. They were both trailing in the second half of their round of 64 games, but both won. Virginia uh, going to play Oklahoma in the round of 32, and Tennessee will play Iowa because Cincinnati blew a double-digit lead in the NCAA tournament for the second straight season. Meantime, Oregon extended its winning streak to nine games, beat Wisconsin, so the Ducks are going to play UC Irvine in the round of 32 because the Anteaters, just like I promised, upset Kansas State. Eaters eat. So either 12-seeded Oregon or 13-seeded UC Irvine going to be in the Sweet 16. That is guaranteed. Villanova-Purdue is the other round of 32 game in the South because Nova beat St. Mary's. Purdue beat Old Dominion. But uh, let's start by circling back to Virginia-Tennessee. Were you worried about either? How wild was it that Virginia was down six and a half at risk of losing to a 16 seed for the second straight year? I'm going to be able to form words now on this podcast now that I've actually seen that happen. Down 14, by the way, in the first half. I remember this very podcast last year. The majority of the podcast after the Friday was about Virginia having lost to UMBC. I'm happy to uh, to be spreading the love around here and getting through the whole bracket this time. But uh, I, Parrish, when it was when it was a 14 point deficit. I, you know, my mind starts to prepare for the fact that I'm going to need to what I'm going to need to write for CBSSports.com and what kind of column I'm going to have to put together here. Um, and I'll be honest, like I had, I had no interest in seeing Virginia lose again. Not just because I haven't won in the bracket and I've had them like number one in the sport and all that stuff. I, a human being should not have to endure losing back-to-back seasons as a number one seed. So on a very human level, like I'm glad that they didn't lose that game because that that would have really really sucked. And by the way, as that game was happening. Tennessee Colgate was getting funky. Colgate was was Colgate was cresting as I tweeted and uh, received the appropriate uh, backlashes on Twitter over that. But I never thought Colgate was going to win. I was engaged in it. I was liking the fact that we were getting some good juice here because a lot of this first round has been good, not great. Let's be honest with ourselves. This has not been a, an awesome first two days of the tournament. I always love the tournament. It's it's you know unbreakable in its form, uh, but it was it has just not been vintage. So I like the fact that we had Virginia sweating, Tennessee sweating. They both wind up coming on top. Virginia actually they won by 15. They got they were at, they were at 20 with about a minute and a half to go. They almost covered, and then Gardner Webb hit a few buckets down the stretch. Um, but and then Tennessee pulls it out. They get uh, they get past Colgate there. So before we get to the rest of the bracket, those are my quick. Uh, Quick two thoughts on that. I assume you were probably in the bullpen watching this stuff with CBS Sports Network people. Did you think, even when Virginia was down 14, like when they were down GP, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm preparing, but if you make me pick right now, I'm still going to say Virginia wins, and I thought they were going to win by like six or eight. What were your thoughts there when it was uh, you know, at the least likely outcome for Virginia in terms of winning it? At, it was never according to the live line presented by oddsmakers, they were never supposed to lose the game. Even when they were down 14, even when they were down six and a half. The second half line on uh, on that Virginia game was Virginia minus 14 and a half. So even when they were down to Gardner-Webb by six at the half, they were supposed to win the game comfortably. And they ended up winning the game comfortably. So I never, I was never at a point where I said, oh man, this is really going to happen again. Um, but, I mean, I actually think Tennessee was in a tougher spot because Tennessee was down late, and you just never know how that's going to go. But Virginia was down at the half, down big in the first half, down by six at the half. They took control of that game very early in the second half and then held on to control the rest of the way. I never thought Virginia was going to lose, but I was blown away by that. Like, this doesn't ha- – you're not – as a one seed, you're not supposed to be trailing at the half <laughs> to a 16. And here's the only one seed that's ever lost to a 16 seed, and a year later they're doing it again? I, I just thought it was amazing that they they were at least in that position again. And I did think if you got to the 10-minute mark and they were still in a game, that's when that's when like your mind can start messing with you. You, you start getting a little tight. But they took control of the game well before that. They did, and there were just you know, little plays here and there Virginia made that it net, that just never materialized against UMBC a year ago. Uh, they get it done there. They move along, uh, and good on them. They'll play Oklahoma. That will be a 745 tip on True TV on Sunday night. Um, in terms of first-round stuff, GP, I don't have much to provide in terms of Hartford. Like, Nova beat St. Mary's. It was a close game. 
not a memorable game at all, but they win 61-57, and Purdue wins easily over Old Dominion. More thoughts on those teams on our Sunday pod. Let's see who gets through. Uh, my pick for that is Purdue, but Villanova is going to dominate that building. Uh, but I will ride with Purdue because I think Purdue's the better team. Um, Cincinnati, uh, you know, Iowa was, Iowa was capable because it did it, obviously, but it was capable of this kind of performance, and I – I had a sneaking suspicion that this might happen. Mick Cronin now is 6-11 in his career in the NCAA tournament. He's only made one Sweet 16, and he hasn't gotten out of the first weekend since 2012. So if you're Cincinnati, you're loving the fact you've been to nine straight NCAA tournaments, but this is maddening. This is just you, – you have the better team, the higher-seeded team, and you can't even get the opportunity to face Tennessee. So for the Bearcat fans listening, uh, one, you know, we feel your struggle, too. Like, Cronin feels it as much as anyone. He does not run from the fact that he understands that from a national perspective, his program just will not be considered on that upper tier because it doesn't go deep in the tournament and knows that it needs to before that comes. It doesn't happen yet again. Not as big as the blown lead from a year ago, but still, I think it was 13 at one point earlier in the, early in the game. Cincinnati looked like it should have won that, and it did not. Anteaters win. That's good stuff there. I like seeing that. We're guaranteed a double-digit seed yet again. It happens almost every single year in this tournament. And it's happened, like, I forget the stat off the top of my head, but it's, it's GP, we've had, like, a double-digit seed in the Sweet 16, something like 14 of the past 16 years or something like that. There's always at least one, and now we're guaranteed of it there. So the, the four games, I will take Virginia to beat Oklahoma. By the way, Oklahoma shot out of its mind against Ole Miss uh, and moves along there. But I will take Virginia over OU. I'm going to take Oregon over Irvine. It'd be really fun to have UC Irvine into that Sweet 16, though. Um, but I'll I'll take Oregon there. Uh, I will take Purdue, and then I will take Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is better on offense than I think people even realize. I think they're going to have a good game there. Uh, they've got the right mixture to, to handle Iowa. So I've got the one, I've got the two, I've got the 12, and I've got the three. Um. Back to Tennessee for just a second. The way they closed was so awesome. They've been in so many of, they've been in a big stage, you know, close games late. And they, I should look this up before I say it, but it just sure feels like they they get out of those spots more often than, than they get caught. Um, in the SEC tournament, tight game, Kentucky late, they figured it out. Um against Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt, tight game, goes to overtime, Grant Williams takes over. Um, they did it against Gonzaga. Uh, sometimes it's Grant Williams. I think more often than not, it's Grant Williams. But in this one, it was Admiral Schofield. He had a couple of big threes down the stretch. I, I just think that that team doesn't get shaken. They got two guys. I think Jordan Bones right there as well. But I, I don't know. They just got guys who don't seem rattled by the moment at all. And so that was um, impressive to watch them close that way, even if they probably shouldn't have been uh, in a tight game with Colgate the way they were in a tight game with Colgate. And by the way, that's not a game that was close all the time. They were up big early, and then you're exactly right the way you put it. Everybody was focused on Virginia, and then you looked up and went, oh, wow, Tennessee's down in the second half. But they, they pulled it out. They get to the round of uh, 32. The points you make about Cincinnati um, – I had the same notes right here. Been to nine straight NCAA tournaments. Has only made one Sweet 16 in that stretch, and that was in 2012. So Mick's gone seven straight years without a Sweet 16. As a head coach, so a couple, you know, couple appearances at Murray State as well, uh, Mick's now been to 11 NCAA tournaments as a head coach. He's been eliminated in the round of 64 six times. So 55% of the time, um, he's lost in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't know if you saw his post-game press conference, but – in the most delicate way possible, people were trying to ask him about another early exit. And they said, so what do you do now? And he said, you just go back to work. And then he paused and he said, and you go back to work with a lot of pride. You know, as if to say, we've got a very good college basketball program. Uh, it's just not working out in the single elimination tournament. And I think I, I think I agree with that. He's running one of the consistently good basketball programs in America. It's just that it gets it gets dinged a little bit because it hasn't advanced in the bracket um, as often as it should and as often as any Cincinnati fan would like. Uh, in terms of looking ahead, yeah, I've got Virginia over Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma shot, as you put it, incredibly well against Ole Miss. Some of that had to do with Ole Miss, but I got Virginia handling them. Should be no problem. Oregon, UC Irvine. I, I told you, anteaters were going to eat, and they did eat against Kansas State. So I've got them beating Oregon. 
uh, listen, I've got eyeballs. Uh, I see how well Oregon is playing. Nine-game winning streak right now. They're the classic team that's better than their seed, but not not deserving of a better seed. They didn't have a good resume, yeah. even if they had a good team. And, and, you know, the NCAA tournament is supposed to seed you on resume as opposed to how you've been playing lately. Um, but Oregon has been playing at a really high level lately. Uh, so I haven't seen the number on that game yet, but I would assume Oregon is going to be favored in that game. Let me see if I can find the Ken Palm projection real quick. Um, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess by six. Six let's, is my guess. Here it is. Oregon 64, UC Irvine 60. Okay. So Irvine is the underdog, but you think that you think it makes me blink? I just took the Anteaters as an underdog. You think I'm going to blink now? I'm not blinking now. I got the Anteaters in the Sweet 16 playing Virginia. And how about that? Tony Bennett would then have to only, and I put quotes around only, but only be the 13 seed to go to uh, the Elite Eight. I've got Purdue over Villanova only because I had Villanova eliminated by St. Mary's. That didn't work out. I've got Purdue in my bracket going to the Sweet 16, so I'll stick with that. And I really do think Tennessee should have very little problems with Iowa. Iowa limped into the Cincinnati tournament. I was surprised they were able to overcome that deficit to Cincinnati because they were down 18-5. Oh, and keep in mind, I mentioned earlier, uh, this is the second straight year since they've done this. They were up 22 against Nevada last season. Yep. Lost. Up 18-5 on Iowa this season. Lost. So maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. But UT, Iowa, I'll take Tennessee. So my Sweet 16 in the South, Virginia against UC Irvine and Purdue against the Tennessee Vols. All right. Set the table here for our final region. Midwest, what do you got? So North Carolina was down at the half to Iona. It was a num another number one seed at risk, but the Tar Heels came back and won. They're going to play Washington in the round of 32. Auburn won a crazy game. I mean, like a, a really fun early Thursday game against New Mexico State. Meantime, Kansas smashed Northeastern. Rest in peace. Hashtag CAA Luca. So Auburn and Kansas is going to play in the Wiretap Bowl round of 32. Houston murdered Georgia State. Ohio State upset Iowa State. So it's Houston versus Ohio State in the round of 32. And I saved this best for last. Mm. Your Wofford Terriers blew out Seton Hall. Fletcher McGee now has 509 career three-pointers. That's more than any other Division I men's basketball player in history. So it's Wofford versus Kentucky round of 32. You're going to be able to see that one on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, Network of Stars, America's Most Awarded Network. UK probably going to be without P.J. Washington because he's in a cast. He went from on Wednesday, probably going to play Thursday, right. to on Thursday in a hard cast. And to be fair, John Calipari pointed out that this ain't like putting your four-year-old in a cast. Like We can get that thing cut off in a matter of five minutes whenever we want it cut off. But he is unlikely to play in this game, so it could get interesting. Norlander, uh, let's start with Wofford. Big performance. Fletcher McGee off the charts. How excited were you watching? I do think they're your your Wofford Terriers advancing this bracket. Of course they're my Wofford Terriers. Uh, no doubt about it. I was watching uh, on the computer screen as I was uh, as I was also half watching Purdue uh, just crossed against Old Dominion. Impressive. Seton Hall actually had a good push there, and then near the end, I mean, the whole team just took over. Wofford played to what it was. I mean, it, it shot well. It passed the ball well. Uh, McGee was out of his mind. Um, and that Kentucky-Wofford game, by the way, that's a 240 tip on Saturday. So that's going to be a standalone game. And it could be really, really interesting. I'll get to my pick there in just a second. Although, I don't need to get to my pick. You already know who I'm picking. But I'll get to a preview there in just a second. Um, awesome for Wofford, though. And as I said with Buffalo, I love seeing these schools that aren't normally in this spot show up and play well. Um, that was really, really cool. Houston did what I thought it was. Would do move along. I uh, Credit to Chris Holtman. He is been to five NCAA tournaments, has never lost a first-round game, and Ohio State beats Iowa State. If you take Iowa State's players and you take Ohio State's players, you put them in a gym, don't have any coaches, I think Iowa State's players are, running, are winning nine out of ten of those games. And yet, in this game, uh, Holtman dictated a lot of what he wanted to dictate there. They ran a lot through Caleb Wesson, who is, I mean, he is maybe as valuable to that team as, as anyone 
and I might even include Morant because without him, they don't have anything to run through down low. Um, and the style they run isn't the most appealing, but it works for what they need to get done. So congrats to Ohio State on getting through. I told you on the podcast Kansas was going to beat Northeastern by 30-plus. Maybe you'll listen next time. Auburn, New Mexico State was an awesome experience on my end because I was in the XL Center. They put it on the big board, and we're trying to follow on the computer, and then they show it live. The whole arena is is just riveted by this thing but you can't play the game when the other game gets going again one because they want you to pay attention to the stuff on the floor but two you can't have the crowd you can't have 14,000 people reacting to something on the screen because it's going to affect the actual gameplay so I get it like you can't do it but that arena was pissed when they took the, they took the the screen off right as he was about to shoot the free throws and then I think there was another stoppage of play and it was right before New Mexico was going to have the game-winning shot. So we did not get to see those live. Actually, I was sitting next to our buddy, Greg Doyle, who's in Hartford to uh, to follow the Purdue Boilermakers. And uh, and so he pointed out to me, he's like, look at the corner scoreboard there in the arena. And it showed uh, the game had gone final. I knew New Mexico State didn't make the shot. New Mexico State's the only 12 that did not beat a 5 this year. After no 12s over 5s last season, uh, this time we get a, a strong return. Three of the five and the fourth, or three of the four, and the fourth one that didn't get it came really, really close. So Auburn moves along, as you said, wiretap bowl. That's a 940 tip on Saturday on TBS. And then, yes, UNC moves along. Uh, Washington pushes past Utah State. I was surprised by the margin there. I thought that was going to be a close game that Utah State would win, but they move along. So my predictions, I will take UNC over Washington. I get the sense that the way that UCF is going to keep Duke interesting Washington will keep UNC interesting, but I will push them along, the Tar Heels. Um, I'm going to move Kansas along. So uh, I don't know how that game's going to go, Parrish. That's that's a tough one for me to read, but I'll, I'll, I'll scoot the Jayhawks in to play UNC in, the, in, uh, in KC in the regional semifinal there. I'm going to move Houston through, as always, and then I'm going to move Wofford through. I don't think P.J. Washington will play. Uh, him not being on the floor is, is a real impact, but um, there's a lot of interesting games here on Saturday. I think I think Saturday's overhaul, overall haul is a little bit better than Sunday's. I think your two most anticipated ones are just see what John Morant does versus Florida State and then see what Wofford does against Kentucky. And I, of course, will take Wofford. Um, to go back to that Auburn-New Mexico State game, because it was – one of the wilder finishes, if not the wildest finish um, that we've had. Um, I know A.J. Harris afterward said that he knew the score. But to me, that's a little bit like J.R. Smith saying he knew the score. He's just saying it. Yeah. There's no reason to whip that ball out to the three-point line unless yep. you think you're down by three, right? Yeah, that was that was such – I. I don't. I'm not gonna attack the kid and say like it was a boneheaded move, but when it's happening in the moment, I literally yelled out loud, "What the hell is he doing?" Because <laughs> he had an ocean to the hoop. He, I know there was a guy kind of like trailing him. I don't think he's getting that ball. And you you lay it in, you get to overtime. Um, but yes, I think he thought they were down three in that moment. I think he thought they were down three, and then so he whips it out. Uh, Brown is shooting a three pointer, gets fouled, um, and then at that point. Like I'm really just rooting for him to make these free throws. Yes, he's got he's got to make two to send it to overtime, three to win it. I don't care if he makes three. I'm not rooting against Auburn, but that's such a lonely place. And you know, it wasn't quite the Darius Washington moment because there was still time on the clock. And as we know, New Mexico State ended up getting a wide open three pointer for the win at the buzzer. But when he missed the first, the way he yanked himself off the line is a way that you don't see basketball players do often which means he recognized the moment he was dealing with real game pressure and at that point i was i mean i was sitting here in my hotel by myself so i don't guess i said it to anybody but i was like he, he is no way he's making the next two he made the next one missed the next one ball goes out of bounds chris jans give him credit got a wide open look in the corner for three and it just resulted in an air ball it was the all-time moment because i mean you can't get a cleaner look and so New Mexico State was right there. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to call A.J. Harris a liar. What's the point of that? Um, I feel sick for him because that's a, probably a moment he'll have to deal with for the rest of his life on some level. But there's just no reason to throw the ball out to the three-point line when you've got a layup at the – I mean, you're at the rim, nothing between you and the rim. Um, you only throw it out there if you think you're down three in, instead of two. So um, – Anyway, wild game. Um, Auburn wins it, and so we get Auburn-Kansas, and I do really think that's 
the the most difficult game to to pick out of out of these uh, round of 32 games in the Midwest because you you know it's Kansas for, you know every time you start to count them out like they go beat me Northeastern by 30 and my God if you ever hear me talk about CAA Luca again you just hit me in the face you're done he was he did not perform picked a bad bad day That's CAA Luke have- <laughs> there's some dude named Luke. Well, somebody told me, somebody tweeted me and said, yo, Parrish, C.A. Luca looks like YMCA Luca." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, might have been even a little bit too I mean, Listen, I picked Northeastern to win the game straight up, and they didn't just lose. They lost by a million points. Yep. You, you got over your skis with that one. I did. I got hey UC Irvine worked out, but I I was way out of way out of sorts with that Northeastern pick. So um, I'll just take it from the top. I've got North North Carolina beating Washington. I do think that could get interesting. You know, Washington's a nine seed, but it's largely because it had no opportunity to build a resume in its league because the league was terrible. Um, so per, you know they've got real players on that team. And Mike Hopkins, remember all the time. I know I don't have to tell you, but he spent time at Syracuse. Uh, he's not going to be unfamiliar with North Carolina the way a Pac-12 coach otherwise might be unfamiliar with North Carolina because he coached in the same league as North Carolina, associate head coach uh, under Jim Beheim at Syracuse. So um, that could be interesting, but I'll take North Carolina, which, by the way, got a really nice performance from Nasir Little on, on Friday night. I think he had 19 points, shot a really high percentage. And if you've got those seniors playing at a high level, Kobe White running your team, looking like a lottery pick, and now Nasir Little giving you real stuff off the bench. I mean, that's the type of team that absolutely can win a national. <laughs> Auburn over Kansas, just because that's what my bracket has, is Auburn in the Sweet 16, so I'll just stick with it. But I could see that game going either way. Um, Houston, we haven't talked about them, looked awesome uh, in its opening round game against Georgia State. I'll take Houston over Ohio State. But don't ever forget, you know, Chris Holtman, I think lost five of his top six scores, picked eighth in the preseason Big Ten poll. He's got Ohio State in the round of 32. There was a time during the season where, I don't know, maybe an Ohio State fan site was like asking if Ohio State should change coaches. I mean, just like you couldn't be, dude, you got, you, you, you amazingly have Chris Holtman as your head coach. If anybody at Ohio State questioning him is out of their minds, he's done a tremendous job basically everywhere he's ever been, and he's doing a tremendous job with Ohio State to get them to the round of 32. Huge accomplishment, but I think it ends right there. Houston advances. And then I've got Kentucky beating Wofford, but Kentucky with no P.J. Washington and Wofford rolling the way Wofford's rolling. Woo! I could I could odd it. You don't even have to have a big imagination to imagine Wofford winning that game. I know the building will be pro-Kentucky because there will be a lot of Kentucky fans there. Um, but the nation will be pro-Wofford. So I, it won't have any impact on the game. But everybody at home outside of Kentucky going to be rooting really hard for Wofford because a little bit like John Morant. I think people had heard about John Morant, talked about John Morant, but how many people really seen John Morant until uh, Thursday? Same thing with Wofford. People had heard about Wofford, talked about Wofford. How many people had really seen Wofford? I mean, I've seen it on Twitter. People are like, Wofford's the most fun team in America. Well, they, they've been playing like this all season. You just, you're just just now getting exposed to it. So I've got Kentucky advancing, but if Wofford beats them, it will not surprise me in the least. North Carolina, Auburn, Houston, Kentucky. Uh, those are my Sweet 16 picks uh, in the Midwest. All right. Well, hopefully the weekend brings us some uh, – give us one buzzer beater, please, and uh, just a couple of really, really good ones. You know, when you don't have a, a ton of drama here, a lot of top seeds moving on. Not all. I think we got seven double-digit seeds here in the second round. Um, it, it lends itself to some good matchups, and then, uh, by you know, as a result of that, the Sweet 16 uh, will have a lot of uh, intriguing stuff as well. So we'll wait and see. Next podcast, Parrish and I got to figure out on Sunday, uh, either Sunday night, as always, or early Monday morning but we'll figure out our schedules with that. You know we'll get it to you guys as soon as possible. A complete recap of everything that happens in the second round, and then we set the table for the regional semifinals. I can already tell you my schedule. Um, I'm going to be late in studio on Sunday night, and then early flight out of LaGuardia on Monday morning. So it probably has to be be late Sunday. We shall see. (laughs) <laughs> we'll see you know we'll get it done when we get it done but hopefully uh hopefully we will get it done i mean it, it like this is the time of year where it's just there's no ideal time because it, it's really stay up in the middle of the night 
on you know Sunday or get up after you're already up late on Monday, I mean on Sunday night anyway, then get up really early on Monday morning and record it then. So I don't know. Hey, I tell you what, let's sleep on it. Let's sleep a little and then we'll figure this out sometime between now and uh, Sunday afternoon. You got it, buddy. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five-star nice comments. You guys have been great about that. I sincerely appreciate you doing it if you've already done it. If you haven't, it takes a minute. That's all. If we're willing to talk for an hour in the middle of the night, surely you can give us one minute of your time and go uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave a nice comment. Either way, you don't have to do it. We're going to still be here at some point soon. We'll be recapping the entire round of 32, looking ahead to the Sweet 16. Enjoy your Saturday games. Enjoy your Sunday games. We'll talk again soon. Until then, take care.